you so much for this time together to worship you, to say thank you for all the good that you've done, Lord. Father, I pray today we could just see your absolutely incredible heart of generosity. Father, we are your generosity project. You want to show the riches of your kindness through our lives. And so, Lord, I pray that we could be shaped, inspired, changed, informed by your generous heart. And I pray we could be more generous in our approach to life. Help us, guide us. Thank you for this time together of worship, learning, and growing. We pray your blessing on it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good to be with you, church. Happy Labor Day weekend. Um, looks like the air shows, you know, not going to happen. Um, I was really hoping to just get my way onto one of those planes. I think that would be the coolest thing ever. I saw the new Top Gun, and I like, yeah, not bad. I like the old Top Gun a lot better, though. I'm sorry, anybody? All right, two of you. All right, thanks. Got a couple. Anyway, I'll give you my movie commentary another Sunday. Um, but hey, uh, as Jovan and Tony said, next Sunday is our Better Together Sunday. So we're going to have a fun time. We're going to have ice cream. We're going to have some t-shirts. We're going to have some games and stuff like that. And we're also kicking off our fall life groups. So that'll be happening next Sunday, so make sure to be here, make sure to invite someone with you, and it's going to be a, a special Sunday. But today, we are finishing our generosity series. I know everybody was like, Chet, can you preach on this for like three more months? And as tempted as I was, I said, no, we got to move on from this. Um, so today, we're wrapping it up, and I don't know, does anyone remember this place in Sandusky called Mystery Hill? Anybody go there as a kid or anything? Yeah. It's all right. Me and Chris. <laughs> Thanks, brother. <laughs> the Lord can save by many or by few. Um, this, this is a cool place. So this story is really going to fall flat if none of you have ever been there. But, but it was, this, it was kind of this, this real, like, janky place. It had, like, a little, little putt-putt thing. But then the, the other side of it was Mystery Hill. And, and the idea was that gravity doesn't work there. Yeah, this, this is cool. As an eight-year-old kid, this is cool stuff, man. And, and so, so you'd go there, and they would like, uh, they'd have all these little demonstrations, and like the water would run up instead of down. And then you would go through this house at the end, and you would walk through this house, and the whole time you'd be like doing that, you know? But it kind of, like to your eye, it looked like everything w w was fairly normal. Chris, give me an amen here, man. Yeah, thank you. This is true. And, uh, and obviously, it was all like optical illusions and stuff, but, but the whole idea is like what you expect, you know, what, what's normal isn't happening there. For, forget it. Forget I ever mentioned it. Um, it was cool. It was, it was only like $2, too, so that, that was a nice budget item. But, you know, when, when we talk about generosity, I think generosity is one of those things that defies expectations. Not, not as an illusion, but, but in reality, because when we kind of think about generosity, we think about what it costs us, right? If I'm going to be generous, I'm giving to you. I'm, I'm, I'm emptying something of what I have uh, for you. But the reality is, as we're going to see today, is that I believe God actually enriches our life through generosity. That actually, at the end of the day, the person who practices a generous life gets more in the long run. It actually does far more 
for you than me. Jesus is quoted as saying in the book of Acts, it's better to give than to receive. And there's something that is truly, really hard to actually believe that. Because I like to receive. I don't know about you. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll take that. Sure, poor. Be generous to me. That, that's great. But, but Jesus said it's actually better to give than to receive. So there's something about generosity that, that's hard to translate into the human experience. But, but what the scriptures say is it will actually enrich your life. So let's look at these texts together. We started a couple weeks ago in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and we kind of went through most of that. And today we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. It's a continuation of what we were looking at in chapter 8, but it's just elaborated a little bit more. And I'm going to start at verse 6. So I've got uh, a few verses to read, so, so stick with me on this. And here's the Apostle Paul writing. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. That's just a fun word to say. I don't know. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Now I know there's a lot in these verses and we're going to unpack some of it. But do you see the the theme of generosity within there? You see Paul kind of talking about that and elaborated. And, and what I think is, is interesting, I, I recently read a book called The Psychology of Money. Anyone here? It's by Morgan Housel. It's, all right, no one's with me today. This is going to be a long sermon. I hope you're comfortable. Uh, but, it, but it's an interesting book. And, uh, and the author talks about how, you know, our relationship with money is psychological, right? We know this, right? You make a budget and you're like, all right, I've got X amount of dollars for eating out. And then you go live that week, and you're like, I know this is very clear, right? Like $21, whatever. But then you pass crumble cookies, and you're like, I think I need it tonight. I don't want it. I need it. Anybody? And, uh, and, and then it you know, blows your budget or whatever. Because a lot of times, it's not the intellectual. We get it. I'm getting X amount of money in, and my, like, it's very simple. I can put in a spreadsheet. I can see it. There's no ambiguity. But if you ever try to live within a healthy budget, can I get an amen on this? It's tough. It's tough. You know, you know the right answer. Like, this isn't rocket science. I know it. But it's because of the emotional reality. It's because of the behavior. It's because of the psychology. So anyway, so the author digs into all of that, and, and it's a really fun read. But I want to today, I want to talk a little bit 
about the spirituality of money. So if there's a psychological reality to it, is there also a spirituality to it? Now, I know as soon as we enter this type of conversation, they're like, when is he going to ask me for money? You can relax. I'm not going to, all right? I'm not going to try and manipulate you. I'm not going to put guilt on you. I'm not up here to do any of that. But here, here is the honest truth. It is a big part of our lives, right? And if, if, if we are going to be people who connect to God, we want him to inform every area of our life, right? My relationship with God is meant to inform how I spend my time. It, it's supposed to inform how I relate to my wife. It's supposed to inform how I work in my motivations. And guess what? It informs my financial world too. You with me on this? And although it's a weird thing to talk about, and I promise you I'm not here to manipulate you in any way or anything like that, this is an important part of our spiritual lives. And Jesus talks about it quite a bit. And Paul is talking about it to us today. And I can just honestly tell you as a pastor, man, I've seen divorces happen around this. I've seen people live in deep anxiety and fear. over. The, it's a real part of our lives. And it's a part that we have to learn how to connect with God in. You with me on this? And so Paul is kind of showing us a bit here that this spirituality of money. So let's unpack it. So the first thing that he says is he goes on the line, he says, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. And the idea here is that our lives, although there are always unexpected things in life that you can't control, that you can't predict, that you can't plan for, he's saying there's also some parts of life that are not a mystery. Right? And so Paul says, here's, here's a law of life that how you sow, if you are generous, if you sow in a generous way, what does he mean by that? He means like if you sow generous thoughts, generous actions, if you're generous in your relationships, if, if you're generous with, with what you have and, and who you are and all that, Paul says you're going to reap a more meaningful future. He says on the other hand, if you so sparingly, and you're not generous in your relationships, you're not generous with your time, you're not generous, and then he says, you know what, you're going to create another kind of future. See, there are a lot of mysteries in life, but not everything is a mystery. Right? If, if I treat people like garbage, and I go forward, then Paul say, guess what, you're going to be hurting in the future. I don't need to be Miss Cleo to understand that. Right? What you sow, you, you will reap. There's a reality to it. Now, it's not an not exact equation, you know, where it's like, hey, I, Lord, I'm giving these six hours to you now. Can you make that into six years of extra life for me? You know, it, it's not like that. But Paul says there's a trajectory. And today, I just want you to take a moment, and I want to take a moment and just say, honestly, what trajectory am I on today? Am, am I on a trajectory that is marked more by generosity? Or am I a, on a trajectory that, that's maybe marked more by I put myself first? Because you can have all the great intentions in the world and you can fall into that if you're not careful. I know none of us in this room want to be a selfish person. If we talked one-on-one, -on -one, probably everybody would be like, yeah, selfishness is bad. But you can fall into it by not examining 
the real outcome and trajectory of your life. You with me on this? And so Paul's saying, hey, which way are you going? What, what, is, what is it going to amount to over time, and are you good with that? Do you want a more generous future? Be more generous. See, there, there's some ways that's easy for me to be generous, but then there's some ways that's not. Yeah, honestly, financial generosity is easier for me than, like, generosity of spirit. Like, someone wrongs me, I just want to cut you off. I do. That, that's my default. I'm like, I, I don't want to, whatever, I forgive you, but I don't want to ever talk to you again. I'm sorry, church, I'm a broken person, all right? I see those eyes. <laughs> I'm just, that's harder for me to be generous. Like, hey, giving money, okay, cool. You know, that, that's easier for me. But being generous with, like, forgiveness and second chance, that's a little harder because I've been burned before. And so I got, I got like, this wall of protection up. And someone starts coming into that wall. I don't like it. But, you know, part of the reality is that Paul's saying, yeah, you can have that wall out. You're going you're to keep, keep safe, but you're also going to keep a lot of God's love out, too. And you're going to keep people away, and you're going to keep work. And so, so generosity, it's all going to strike us differently. We're all going to have areas where it's more natural and areas where it's more challenging. But the point is, we're moving more towards that as an approach to life. And then Paul says this, and he says, when you practice it, and I think these are so helpful, look again at these verses, it says, here's what it should look like. Number one, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Generosity is a personal decision. No one can make it for you. No one can pull it out of you. No one can decide it for you. Paul says, number one, it's got to be born out of your heart. Our generous practice, it's got to be rooted in my heart and my desire. And then he goes on to explain this even more. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. Generosity, it can't be forced. It can't be manipulated. I remember years ago, I was in college and I was at a gas station. And I was just like pumping gas, minding my own business. And some guy runs up to me. And he just starts, like, like talking. And I'm, like, so taken back by that. Because, right, usually when you're pumping gas, like, no one talks to you. Yeah. Which I'm good with. Right? I'm just there to pump gas, maybe get an energy drink, something, Diet Coke. I don't know. That's all. But so this guy comes in. So that kind of throws me off. And then he's just, he's, like, just rambling on. And he's, like, pretty smooth talker. And so I'm, like, listening. He's telling me the story. And basically, he's, like, I, I need money. And I was so caught off. He was such a smooth talker that I just reached in my pocket, whatever I had, I gave him. Not, usually I'm better than that, church, all right? But he, he got me at a moment I was vulnerable. And, uh, and as soon as I gave it to him, I can't remember what it was, he takes off sprinting. And then cop car, cars follow right behind. And the dude at the other pump, he goes, I think you just funded his getaway. And I was like, thanks for that. <laughs> really helpful. But I think I did. <laughs> That was not an act of generosity. <laughs> that was compulsion. Right? That, that was manipulation. And that's not what generosity is. You should never give generously because you feel guilt tripped. Then it, it's not generosity. See, Paul is saying, and I know we've all heard of churches and organizations that do it, and I'm telling you, Paul's saying, that's not generosity. That, that's not healthy. That's messed up. He said we, we, we shouldn't give that way. It's, it's between your heart and God, and it cannot be coerced. It cannot be forced. And then lastly, 
He says, and to give cheerfully. Give cheerfully. That when we are generous, it's meant to be something that we do with joy. Something that we do where we have a sense of, man, I am, I am thankful that God can use me to bless this other person. Right? When I gave that guy, I didn't have joy. I just had shock. Just like, I don't even know what's happening right here. This is so uncomfortable. Just take what I have. You know, let's move on with our day. And, and, and sometimes maybe, you know, we do. We give out of that compulsion, and, and there's no joy in it. When you serve God, we serve from a place of joy. That's the goal. That, that, Paul says God loves a cheerful giver. And if you don't have a sense of joy, don't do it. If you can't find that in your heart, then don't do it. Then examine and, and connect with God or, or whatever. But, but do it from that place. My, my daughter, Emery, she's three and a half. And, you know, we're, we're trying to teach her how to share. It's kind of a big thing in our house. And, uh, and, and she will we'll be like, all right, Emery. You know, because anything Abby, she, Abby's a little bit over one. Anything that she grabs, like Emery goes ballistic. You know, she's like, no, 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 no. And she wants to rip it out of her hands. And then, then we'll make her give it back to her. And many times she will, but not with a spirit of cheerfulness, believe it or not. <laughs> she'll give it back to her. And then many times she'll just like push her in her face, like a, a hand to the face. I'm like, where did you learn that? And I know she learned it from Allie. I'm positive. <laughs> Whoa, what's up? Cancel that on the internet right there. She's not here to listen to that. But there, there's no spirit of cheerfulness. And some of us, honestly, if you're serving God begrudgingly, you're not doing him any favors. And you're not doing anything good for your soul. Right? God, God does not call us to, to serve him with these closed, you know, tight grip, reluctant hearts. And I know sometimes if you're truly committed to serving God, there will be days where you've got you to gotta nurture your heart towards cheerfulness. Yeah? You serve God in the nursery, there, there's days where, you know, the kids are wild. Your cheerfulness might evaporate a little bit quicker than other times. You're serving with adults sometimes. They're a little bit wild or whatever and, and your cheerfulness. But, but the goal is that we're working towards that. You with me on this? The goal is that we're calling our heart towards that. God doesn't need what you have to give. Did you hear that? God does not need what you and I have to give. He doesn't need it. But we need the practice of giving. It actually opens us up to God. It refocuses our heart on him. It's transforming to us. I know we hear generosity and we think it's about others. And to a degree, it is. But I would argue that the person who changes the most is the one who practices generosity. That's the person who changes the most. This is what Paul is showing us. And then he goes on. And he says these beautiful lines in verse 8. He says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. This is a really empowering verse. Paul says when you strive to be generous, God's grace will abound in that effort. It will abound in your life. Do you notice like the alls, the abounding, just kind of the overflowing language in those verses? What Paul's saying is that the lid to God's grace flowing through us is us. 
In other words, if you decide in your heart, like, God, I want my life to be useful to you. God will not be the limiting factor. You with me on this? God will not be the one that holds you back. God will not be the one that, that says, okay, you want to you wanna serve me? You want to glorify my name? Well, you're on your own. You can only do it to this, this point. What Paul's saying is, in your heart, if you truly want to serve and honor God, God will meet you with grace in that effort all the time, which is cool. Now, if you want to serve yourself, I don't know that that promise stands. But if you want to serve God and honor him, he says, my grace will flow through you. And I think part of the generous approach to life is seeing ourselves as channels, as conduits of God's grace to the world. See, today, do you see yourself as a conduit of God's grace? Do you see yourself as, as, as someone that, that God can, can work, pour his grace through, and it can go to other people? Here's the other side. Paul's saying, look, it's an abundant world. We've all heard people talk about that abundance versus scarcity mindset. You've heard of this? And, and you, and you kind of know, like, if, if someone else wins, it doesn't mean I lose. This is a very hard paradigm for me. I'm an Enneagram 3, so, like, no, if someone wins and I lose, that's how the world works, you know? I have a hard time with this, but, but what Paul is saying is, no, it's an abundant world. It's an abundant, God's got a lot of grace, right? If God blesses other people in your life, it doesn't mean like, okay, now there's less for you. It's not how it works. If, if God gives good success and all kinds of things to other people, it doesn't mean there's less for you. God is so abundant in all of these things that there is more than enough for everyone. And it's a beautiful reality about the kingdom of God. And so when we pour out our lives in serving, in generosity, we experience more of the abundance that God has for us. And you might be surprised how God might use our lives. I think one of the interesting things about life that I'm finding out is, you know, different seasons in your life, you find new gears that you didn't know you had, you know? Like maybe you're like, oh, I can never get up early. And then you got a job that requires it. And all of a sudden you're up super early every day and you're just making it work. When, when we had our, our first kid, I was like, I don't know how this is all going to work. But we found that gear, you know? And now our second kid, we've almost found that gear. It's taken a little bit more time. The transition's kind of messed up. Uh, but whatever. But we're, we're getting close to finding that gear. And, and you do. We tend to expand to the responsibilities that are placed on us, right? You will expand to it usually. And that's good. That's healthy. Here's what Paul is saying. God's grace will expand to our desire to be generous. This is so cool. His, it will expand to that. The more that it is in my heart to be a conduit of his grace, to bless other people, to serve him, the more his grace will expand to that desire. And Paul says, it will abound to you. And then he closes this part, and he talks a lot about this in different ways. He says, for the, verse 12, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Now, if you remember the context of this from a couple weeks ago, Paul was writing this letter, and he was collecting an offering for famine relief. He's collected money 
for famine relief in the church in Jerusalem. This is Corinth, this is Greece. And so he said, hey, I'm going to get some money and we're going to go back to Jerusalem because these people are starving, it's bad economy, there's all kinds of things going on. And, and so that's what this whole conversation was motivated by. And Paul says, in, in your act of generosity, there's two powerful things that are going to happen. Number one, you're going to make the world better. You're literally going to help them in a material way. They don't have food, you're going to help them get food. And you're going to bless them that way. But he says, but there's also a spiritual blessing too. People are going to receive that gift. They're going to see that gift. And they are going to glorify God. And there's something so cool about generosity that it can do both those things. It can materially and spiritually bless the world. I think that's unique. I think that's really, really cool. One of my, my good buddies, I would notice that like wherever he was living and you know, he was renting all the time at these different places, he would always put a lot of like, effort into making those places nice. He rented a couple apartments and a house. And, and then one day I was like, dude, like, you, don't, you don't own these. You know, why, why are you putting this money in to, to fix these up? And, uh, and he said to me, and it, it's always stuck with me, he said, I always want to leave the place where I live better than when I found it. He said, that's just my approach to life. And I felt really bad about my life at that point because I'm like, I ain't man, the landlord, da, 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 whatever. <laughs> I was totally the opposite of that. <laughs> um, but I was like, that is such an awesome perspective. And he did that. And I've, you know, cost him money and time and effort and all that. But I'm like, man, that's beautiful. Like, that's inspiring to me. And do you know, as far as a Christ, we're meant to leave this place better than we found it. Do you know that? We're meant to leave this world better than we found it. And some of that's going to be spiritual. Some of that's going to be material. There, there's all kinds of ways to do it. But I believe that the more we engage in that as Christ followers, literally the better world we make, but the more we glorify God too. I mean, generous Christians can honor God in a very, very special way. There's an ancient letter that was written in about 130 AD. So the letter to the Corinthians was lit, written close to 60. So divide by two, do the math, and, you know, it's a couple decades apart. I don't know. But here's what it says. Christians are indistinguishable from other men, either by nationality, languages, or customs. They do not inhabit separate cities of their own or speak a strange dialect or follow some outlandish way of life. Their teaching is not based upon reveries inspired by the curiosity of men. Unlike some other people, they champion no purely human doctrine. With regard to dress, food, manner, life in general, they follow the customs of whatever city they happen to be living in, whether it is Greek or foreign. And yet, there is something extraordinary about their life. So these are early Christians. Less than 100 years after this letter is written, people said there's something extraordinary about their life. It's not their dress. It's not where they live. They live in their own countries as though they were only passing through. They play their full role as citizens, but labor under the disabilities of aliens. That means they care for other people that no one else does. Any country can be their homeland, but for them, their homeland, wherever it may be, is a foreign country. Like others, they may marry and have children, but they do not expose them. They share their meals, but not their wives. It's good practice. They live in the flesh, but they are not governed by the desires of the flesh. They pass their days upon earth, but they are citizens of heaven, obedient to the laws, they yet live on a level that transcends the law. They love all men, but all men persecute them. 
Condemned because they're not understood, they're put to death, but raised to life again. They live in poverty, but enrich many. They are totally destitute, but possess an abundance of everything. They suffer dishonor, but that is their glory. They're defamed, but vindicated. A blessing is their answer to abuse, deference, their response to insult. Now, that is a description of these early Christ followers. And to me, that is a description of a generous approach to life. Do you, do you read it through there? They're like, hey, they're like all of us, but, but yet they're different. But it's not in their dress. It's not in where they live. It's in how they live. People hate them, and they're kind. People insult them, and they bless them. People that the rest of society says you're not important enough to take care of, they take care of. Though they don't have a lot, they use what they have to bless others. I'm like, that is an awesome description. And wouldn't it be beautiful as followers of Christ to be known in that way? That's what our forefathers were known as. That's what their, our ancestry of Christ followers, they, they were known that way. And I think it glorifies God. Now, one last thing today, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7, it says this. In the coming ages, God's plan is to show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Think about this verse for a minute. Paul says God's eternal plan is to show his generosity through you. You and I are God's generosity project. He wants to show the immeasurable riches of grace and kindness through you and me. See, the generous life, it always begins and it always ends by going back to God's generosity for us. And as we just wrap up the series, I just want to remind you, God's plan is to show his generous heart in you and through you and for you. The riches of his kindness. That's what he wants to show. For the coming ages, the immeasurable riches of his kindness. Is that the God that you know today? Is that the God that you worship today? The God who is not stingy, who is not an exactor, who is not a miser, but the God who wants to show his immeasurable kindness, the riches of his grace in you and through you. See, I think the more that we receive and connect to that, the more we approach life differently. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you that, Lord, when we look at the very foundation of our faith, it always begins with what you have given us. Father, I'm reminded of the scriptures that say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I'm reminded of Romans, Lord, where it says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How much more than with him will he freely give us all things? Lord, the very center of our faith comes from your generosity to us. And Father, today, in the insecurity and the brokenness of our hearts, we can really question your generosity to us. Father, some days we, we can question if you love us at all. Some days we can question if you really are the God who gives more than he takes. 
Some days we, we, we wonder if you are as committed to us as you are to others. But Father, the gospel always reminds us of your infinitely generous heart. And Lord, the more that we see that, the more we can live from a place of abundance. The more we can see that we're not lacking anything, but all that we need, all that we want, all that we long for, we have in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we can go to life and we can go with open hands. Father, I pray for any of us today that, that are in need that, that we can find a way to be a blessing to them and that they can see that that blessing is ultimately for you. Father, for those of us, Lord, who just know your blessings are real, who live in them, who are this morning thankful for them, I pray, Lord, you could just, by your Spirit's prompting, show us where we need to be more generous. Maybe it's not with things. Maybe it's with the attitude of our hearts. Maybe it's with our time. Maybe it's with our children. Maybe it's with our spouse. God, you know, and I pray you would just make it clear. And I pray, Father, we could take that step of faith and know God will supply every need. If I grant forgiveness, God will supply my need of protection, my need of grace, whatever it might be, Lord. We just pray we could experience the richness of who you are and we could be a blessing to others. Meet us in this time, Lord. In Jesus' great name we pray, amen.